Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hey guys, welcome to Trash Talk with TK. I'm TK. Tom Kelly in this episode will talk about the uh, disturbing collapse of the Phillies, monumental collapse. I don't think people are mad enough about it. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Eagles going down to play the Bucks this week. Give you some of my week two picks against the spread. Went one and two last week, looking to do better this week. And we'll talk about Robert Covington being ranked in the top 50 players of the NBA and the disparity in people thinking he's either great or awful. Let's go. So it is Wednesday, September 12th, and the Phillies are officially dead. And this is a massive disappointment. This is a massive disappointment to the city, a massive disappointment to the fans. It should be a massive disappointment to the team and the manager, the front office, everybody involved with the Philadelphia Phillies. And I'm I'm really irritated by this. I'm irritated by this on a number of different levels. And I do not want to hear this BS excuse about expectations before the season and the fact that nobody expected this team to be in this position and that just getting near 500, you know, getting around 500 after last season is a year of growth and a successful year for this team. That is, that 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 just is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, expectations can be one thing at the beginning of a season. How many times have we seen, once a season gets underway, once it takes shape, once you see a team start to start to grow into itself and the year takes shape, expectations change. The perfect example is the 2017 world champion Philadelphia Eagles. Going into that season, nobody expected the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. Nobody expected the Eagles to be what they ended up being. Nobody expected Carson Wentz to take the massive leap. I think everybody expected him to be better, but nobody expected him to take the massive leap from being an impressive rookie who was up and down at times to the best player in the NFL, which is exactly what he was last year before getting hurt. And once that those things start to happen and a team gets off to a 10-1 start, expectations change. And it's okay for expectations to change throughout the course of a year. Even when Carson Wentz went down, nobody would have been satisfied if that team hadn't won a Super Bowl. It would have been looked at as a massive missed opportunity. With how good they were, the season they had had, you don't always get those kind of chances. And last year was looked at with the Eagles once the season took shape and things ended up not being as they appeared before the regular season, we all came to realize this team had a massive opportunity in front of them. And they needed to take advantage of it in order to to be a success. And that's exactly how we should look at this Phillies team. Yeah, before the year, we thought, okay, over 500 would be great. Compete for a second wild card spot. Even if you don't make the playoffs, it's a year of growth. Look towards next year. But things changed. Things changed in June. Things changed in July with this team. Things changed when you saw the team who 
was supposed to run away and win this division by 15 to 20 games, the Washington Nationals end up having a catastrophic year themselves to the point where they were selling off every part they could at the trade deadline, including entertaining offers for for Bryce Harper, which nobody thought before the season was going to be a possibility. And when that happens, expectations change. When you enter August in first place, neck and neck with the Atlanta Braves, another team very comparable to you in terms of rebuild, expectations change. And it was not at all absurd and not at all out of line for anybody to think in the last week of July, which is, or or the first week of August, the last time the Phillies won a damn series. It was not absurd for anybody at that point to think that this team could go to the postseason. And what they have done the last six weeks has been a complete and total embarrassment to everybody. They have not won a series since the first few days of August. They have played a trash schedule. They have not played anybody any good throughout this entire stretch. Going back to, you know, they played Arizona in the beginning of August. Last time they played a good team. And they can't beat anybody. They can't win a series to save their lives. And I don't care about what the expectations were before the season. Expectations change. You're in it with the Atlanta Braves. The the Atlanta Braves, they're seizing the opportunity. They're playing a hard schedule. They're winning ball games. Why are the Phillies, how have they fallen apart like this? And and I I made the statement uh, earlier this week that I think it's the greatest collapse I can remember seeing from a Philadelphia team in my lifetime. 31, born in 87, um, really I'd say 95 is really what I consider to be my lifetime as a sports fan. That's when I really start to remember things vividly. There are other examples. A lot of people have brought up to me the 2014 Eagles. Very good comparison. Very good comparison. If you remember the 2014 Eagles, they were 9-3. and three. It was the second year with Chip Kelly. Nine and three after a big blowout win over the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. And they lost three of four down the stretch and failed to make the postseason. I think that is a good comparison, but I think this is worse. Because when you look at that stretch for the Eagles, at least they were playing quality opponents. And trust me, I'm not one to ever make any kind of excuse to stick up for Chip Kelly. That was awful as well. But remember, that was the year when Mark Sanchez was a quarterback. Nick Foles had um, been lost for the season earlier in the year uh, after hurting his shoulder against Houston. Mark Sanchez enters. The Eagles... After that win in Dallas, they come home, a big game against Seattle, and Seattle dominated them. And that was really, ultimately, too, Chip Kelly's teams were never the same after that. I think playing a team like Seattle and the way Seattle physically dominated them kind of told you the Chip Kelly system was never really sustainable in this league because you go up against a physical team like Seattle, 
and they're just going to laugh in your face. And that's exactly what happened in that game. Then the Eagles played Dallas on Sunday night here and lost. Dallas was good that year. I know people never want to give the Cowboys credit. Dallas was good that year. Probably the best season of Tony Romo's career. Definitely the best season of DeMarco Murray's career. DeMarco Murray, uh, I believe, led the league in rushing that year. They ran him into the ground, which is probably part of the reason why he's so bad here the following year. But that was a crazy game. The Eagles fell down 21-0 in that game, came back, took a 24-21 lead, uh, which was one of the loudest I ever heard that stadium. But the Eagles ultimately lost the game, uh, fell to 9-5. and five. Then they went down to Washington the next week, and they lost that game too to a, a bad Washington team. But that game in the end uh, turned out not to even matter because the Eagles could have gone 11-5. and five. They would not have made the playoffs anyway due to tiebreakers. So, yeah, that was really bad. That Eagles-Cowboys game is really the the haunting one because if the Eagles won that game, they would have won the division. But at least the Eagles were playing some quality teams. Washington, you know, wasn't good, but that loss didn't end up mattering anyway. But you lose the Seattle and a good Dallas team at home, at least you're losing to decent teams. You that That's what makes this Eagles or this Phillies meltdown so horrific is that their season is being ended at the hands of the Marlins and the Mets and the Nationals. These garbage teams within their own division that they can't find a way to uh, find a way to beat. And it's on everybody from the top down. It's on the manager who, you know, and I'm a Gabe Kapler guy, but I, I think sometimes he is a little hands-on. He is a little too fine with some of the moves he makes. He talks about winning every moment. Well, yeah, that's important. But he also got a part of strategy. He's got to look later on in the game. And, you know, taking bats out early isn't always the best option when you might need them if games get tied later on. You know, weird defensive lineups and things of that nature. So he does not go without blame. But these veterans that you've brought in have not gotten the job done. Carlos Santana has been a disappointment. Odubel Herrera has been really bad the second half. Reese Hoskins has been bad as well. You know, Cesar Hernandez, the list goes on. The offense just hasn't produced. The starting pitching has not been good. The back end of the rotation has has let you down tremendously. Vince Velasquez, Zach Eflin has been terrible. Zach Eflin has been terrible. That's why I laughed when all these people at the deadline said they wouldn't give Zach Eflin straight up for two months of Manny Machado. I wasn't for throwing away the farm. I wasn't for trading the farm for Manny Machado. When you talk about Zach Eflin, who nobody held in any kind of regard before this year, you talk about him as an unmovable piece, give me a break. Zach Eflin is an average arm. It's always ever been. Nick Pavetta, these guys haven't gotten it done. The bullpen, Sir Anthony Dominguez, you know, he's... The rookie, he's a rookie. He's, they used him too much early in the year. He's got nothing left. And you don't have the depth in the bullpen to take up the slack. And you know, a lot of it, a lot of it falls on this general manager who another guy I stuck up for for a long time. But I'll tell you what, I am um I'm down on Matt Clentag right now. And I think he let a golden opportunity slip by, not getting a veteran pitcher at the deadline, a veteran starter. You know, I think arrogantly, he kind of wanted his young arms to to be able to do the job. But, 
you know, having veteran pieces does serve a purpose. And they could have gotten Cole Hamels for nothing. Could have gotten him for nothing. You know, Jay Happ could have gotten him for not much. There were guys out there to get that could have helped you. Didn't do it. As far as a bat, you know, okay, Machado's not there because that Eflin deal, I don't think in any way the Orioles would have taken that deal. But, okay, you don't get Machado, That's I, I get that. You're not going to give the farm for one guy who might not resign. But there were other things out there. Instead, what he decided to do was go for Asdrubal Cabrera, who's been okay, and Wilson Ramos. Now, Wilson Ramos is a good bat. I understand that. But it was very short-sighted to trade for a guy who's been injured all year and already plays a position where he can't play every day. Wilson Ramos isn't healthy enough to help you consistently right now. When he's on the field, he helps you. But when is that? 50% of the time, if that, he hasn't been healthy. You traded for an injured player at a position where it's the most physically taxing position on the field. Matt Clintac failed this team at the deadline. That's a big part of the reason they are where they are. And it has been an incredibly disappointing finish to this season. And I don't think a lot of people are as upset about it as they should be because, hey, you know, the Eagles are back and people will just turn our focus to football. But don't lose sight of how disappointing this season has been. And don't lose sight of the fact that this is one of the worst collapses in the history of this city, regardless of what expectations were before the year started. Now on to the Eagles as they head down to Tampa Bay for their Week 2 matchup with the surprising 1-0 Bucks. I mean, I'd say the surprise of Week 1 in the NFL was the Bucks and their uh, 47-40 to absolute drubbing of the New Orleans Saints. I mean, that was pretty um, amazing to watch. And it, it's funny because you'll get those games every now and then from Ryan Fitzpatrick or Ryan Fitzmagic, as I've heard him call called frequently over the last few days. And it's just, it's crazy. I mean, who would have expected any of that in week one? By the way, it was great week one. I mean, the games were tremendous. Red zone was, was on fire. It was one of the best opening Sundays I can remember in a while. I kind of like... I, you know, I miss the Eagles, but I kind of like them not playing on Sunday. I, I, I mean, I'd love them to host that Thursday night game every year, obviously. It means they won a Super Bowl. But it's fun watching that first Sunday, and you just be locked in on the whole league. You don't have to be worried about the Eagles all day. And it, it was nice. It was nice. But uh, Eagles now go down to Tampa, a beat-up Tampa Bay team. They lost uh, Vernon Hargraves, their corner for the year. They are beat up defensively and offensively. Deshaun got a concussion despite having a great week one. He might not play, which, hey, I mean, Deshaun, like him or don't like him, he can still take the top off the defense. He can still do a lot of the same things he could do 11 years ago when the Eagles drafted him, which is pretty freaking incredible that he can still run that way at his age. But uh, Deshaun might not be there. Doug announcing earlier on today that Nick Foles will once again, make the start at quarterback. Carson Wentz, hopefully, um, according to some reports, Doug doesn't really want to comment on any of that because he he's upset with the journalists for doing their job. But um, hopefully, Carson Wentz is progressing. Hopefully, he returns next week against the Colts and Alshon Jeffrey. Hopefully, he comes back as well. But uh, this week, Eagles, Bucks, and, you know, despite the the matchup from the Bucks last week, the, the play from the Bucks last week, 
And I said, even before the season started, I thought this was a scarier game than a lot of people did, which is why I like that result from last week for the Bucs. Because, you know, they do have a good defensive line. They do. I mean, even JPP, he's another guy who's hurt, might not play. But, you know, they have Gerald McCoy. If JPP plays, we know what he can do. He can do. Um, they have Vinny Curry. Vinny Curry uh, will be matched up on Lane Johnson. They're buddies, so that'll be fun to watch. Big Bo Allen down there now. Uh, Hard Knock star Carl Nassib is with Tampa Bay. So they got some guys who can play on that defensive line. I thought this was going to be a tougher game than people gave credit for because they do have some talent on that defense. But, you know, the Bucs have been already decimated due to injuries. And when I look at this game, I I do like the Eagles to handle it. I, I think the Bucs winning last week was good in terms of getting the team focused the way they need to be. You know, I don't think Doug Peterson was upset to see the Bucs run, run rough shot on New Orleans defense like that. Because, yeah, this team is veteran. This team is focused most of the time. But, you know, human nature does creep in. And, and if Tampa got blown out last week like everybody expected them to, you, you worry about the team maybe sleepwalking down there to Tampa Bay, thinking, oh, we're Super Bowl champs. This team sucks. We'll roll over. That uh, win for Tampa Bay is all Doug Peterson needs to focus them in. Say, hey, this is a good football team. They beat the New Orleans Saints a legit Super Bowl contender last week. So you guys better be focused. You guys better um, not, not waste the week of practice and get ready to go. So I think the Eagles handle the Bucks in this game. Fitzpatrick, I don't think against the Eagles defense will be able to do the same kind of things he did last week. The Eagles, it's critical, obviously, as always, for their defensive line, which is the strength of this team, to get after Ryan Fitzpatrick and get him off his spot and make him feel uncomfortable. I can guarantee you what Tampa Bay's game plan is going to be. You know, they know how talented this Eagles defensive line is. They know how well they get after the quarterback. They're going to run the ball. They're going to try to get it out quick. I'd expect a ton of quick passes just trying to get Ryan Fitzpatrick in a rhythm and trying to keep this Eagles defensive line back on their heels a little bit. Because the Eagles, everything runs defensively off getting after the quarterback, getting pressure with that front four. And Tampa, I'm, I'm sure, will have that game plan. They might have some success. That is how the Giants had success when they played the Eagles last year and, and really gave this defense some fits. But in the end, I don't think Tampa has the overall talent to match up with the Eagles. Getting Nigel Bradham back will be big, even though the linebackers uh, in his stead, Camus Grugier-Hill, um, played really well last week. But getting Bradham back, who's one of the best defenders on this team, along with Jordan Hicks, will be huge in in stopping the run game, which I'm sure the Bucs will try to get established. Offensively for the Eagles, I think, you know, Getting the running game going would be big. I'd like to see more runs early in the game, more Jay Ajayi in the first half. Absolutely. Because if you get the run game going, that'll help Nick Foles out quite a bit. And will help him be able to get some time, get play action working, get those RPOs working to keep that Tampa Bay defense back on their heels. In the end, I'll take the Eagles in this game 27-20. I think it'll be closer than people think. Um... You know, Tampa Bay's home opener. They're going to be excited. They're coming off a big win. Expected to be one of the worst teams in the season. They got to kind of be thinking, you know, they have a shot to do something now. 
you know, probably not, but but early in the year, they'll be they'll be fired up. Eagles three and a half point favorites. I, I wouldn't bet this game. I could see it being a little closer, but I do think the Eagles win it by about a touchdown. I'll go 27-20. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Foles struggled a little bit early, but you know, as Nick Foles goes, you saw it in the Falcons game. As the game goes on and he gets more comfortable, he gets better. And I'd expect at some point in this game, the Eagles get the offense working, they'll get a Jai going, and Foles will get to the point where he's comfortable enough to make some plays. Hopefully, the Eagles can make a few more plays down the field this week. They really weren't able to do that at all last week. But hopefully, the Eagles can make some plays down the field, test these young Tampa Bay corners, who obviously were torched last week, giving up 40 in New Orleans. But I like the Eagles 27-20 to 20 in this ballgame. As for my NFL picks this week against the spread, I'll give you a couple picks every week. I uh, was 1-2 last week. I hit on Minnesota over the Niners. Um, I'm going against the spread here. I forget what the spread was in that game, but I won. Um, lost on New Orleans minus 9.5. I think a lot of people probably lost money on that one. And then I... Um, the other game I lost was Green Bay. I had Green Bay minus seven over the Bears. Obviously, a lot of that had to do with Aaron Rodgers missing time in the first half. But one and two last week. Uh, this week, I have a couple more picks for you. Take them at your own risk. Um, I'll go back to the well with the Saints. I, I They bit me last week. This week, they're back at home. Eight and a half point favorites over Hugh Jackson and the 0-0-1 Cleveland Browns. I'll take the Saints in that game. I think the Saints are going to come out angry. The Browns just aren't that good. You know, I know a lot of people are high on them. And I think they got a shot to be better. But they're still not a good team. I'll take the Browns minus eight and a half at home uh, to bounce back in that game. Another one, uh, another big line. Rams minus 12 and a half at home against Sam Bradford and the Arizona Cardinals. Take the Rams. Take the Rams. I know 12 and a half is a big line. But the Cardinals are going to stink. And I said that before the year. Any The fact that teams are still giving Sam Bradford $20 million is just absurd. It's, it's beyond absurd. The fact that teams still want Sam Bradford to be their starting quarterback at all is completely and utterly ridiculous to me. I don't know what some of these front office people think, what they see when they watch football. But he's awful. They're bad. They got crushed by the Redskins last, re, last week. I'll take the Rams minus 12 and a half. In LA. And my final pick of the week, uh, I'll take an NFC to an NFC East rival of the Eagles. Washington at home against the Colts. They're giving up six. The Colts, uh, Andrew Luck looked pretty good last week. They had a chance to win the game. Jack Doyle, a late fumble, really cost them. But they are in Washington taking on the Skins. I'll take the Redskins minus six. I think Alex Smith's going to be a pretty good fit there. Washington, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't believe in Kirk Cousins. They didn't want to give him the money, and I get it. Alex Smith's not that much worse. Kirk Cousins is the better quarterback, but Alex Smith is a viable replacement. He played well last week in Arizona. They looked good last week in Houston. I said, or in Arizona, before the year, I said, I, I, I don't know how anybody doesn't see that they are clearly the second-best team in the NFC East. I think it's clearly the Eagles, Redskins, then probably Giants and Cowboys in whatever order you want, but... uh the Redskins are clearly the second-best team in that division. Colts still kind of feeling things out. Luck looks okay, but the rest of that roster is not good. Rooting for them for Frank Reich. Was rooting for them to get that win last week. Didn't happen. They obviously come here next week. 
but I'll take the Redskins minus six in that game. So recap my picks. Saints minus eight and a half over Cleveland. The Rams minus 12 and a half over the Arizona Cardinals and Washington minus six over the Colts. And now to close things out, I need to uh, comment on on an argument in Philadelphia sports that was reinvigorated this week, renewed this week with the NBA releasing their latest rankings of players. I I don't even know where this is from. I just saw it all over Twitter. So, yeah, uh, sorry for not doing all the research, but um, I just saw it on Twitter. Robert Covington somewhere was ranked the 48th best player in the NBA. And, of course, this sparks all the debate again because I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a more polarizing player in terms of you either love him or you hate him. There's no middle ground with Robert Covington. I've argued for a long time there should be a middle ground where, you know, you can admit that he is useful to a team without saying he's this great diamond in the rough and, oh, he's the best find of all time of a, you know, process guy. Like, he is probably the best process find, but Robert Covington is is not an all-NBA defensive player the way some people want to want to say he is. So right now, I'll just give you a little dose of reality on Robert Covington. And this is really for both sides. This is for both sides of the Covington debate, which both sides are annoying as hell. You honestly hear more of the Covington's great, I think, at least I do. So that that group is incredibly annoying. And I'm a process guy, too. I'm a process guy that... I feel like I am like kind of the process people sometimes don't like me because I refuse to say Robert Covington is is one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Okay, so here is the deal with Robert Covington. He's a useful player in this league. There are some things, some aspects of defense, of team defense, that he does very well. There is, you know, he he can be useful to a team. But he is not one of the all-time, you know, great defensive players in this league. He's not one of the best defensive players in this league right now. You watch him. He is a good team defender. He's a below-average on-ball defender, and I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody says. You can tell me I'm wrong. You can tell me I'm an idiot. You can tell me Robert Covington is this is this, is this star defender in this league, this lockdown defender. It's just not true. It's not true. Watch the guy play. Watch him play. Watch him play in the playoffs last year. Watch him in the first round getting beat off the dribble time and time again by broken-ass Dwayne Wade. Old Dwayne Wade beat him off the dribble time and time again. We all know he had his shooting struggles in the playoffs, but people don't talk about the fact that he did not play great defense in the playoffs. People act like he's this hes a super, super intelligent, super basketball IQ Savvy defensive player. That's not true either. He's lackadaisical at times. Sometimes he looks like he's not paying attention. He is not the special player that these people say he is. Now, to counteract the player people on the other side, he doesn't stink. He is a useful player in this league. I'm fine with him, you know, having the role he has on this team. He is a good team defender when he's engaged and into it. When his shots are falling, he can be useful offensively. That's another thing, though. Offensively, when he's not making his shots, total zero offensively. Gives you nothing. 
Gives you absolutely nothing. Can't finish around the rim. Can't handle. Yeah, and I'm closer to the I'm not a really Robert Covington guy. No doubt. I do think there's a middle ground. I don't think he's god-awful. I don't think he belongs out of the league. But this idea that Robert Covington is this like superstar, fine defensive player is ridiculous. It is utterly ridiculous. And it is annoying to see time and time again, you know, I, I just don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's like people don't watch him sometimes. It's like they're so dug in on their Robert Covington opinion that they refuse to change it. They refuse to admit that there is, you know, that there are any weaknesses in his game. There are weaknesses in his game. He is not the superstar lockdown defender that some people think he is. And, you know, they might get mad at me, but just telling you the way it is. Robert Covington is a solid player in this league. Nothing less, nothing more. He's not awful. He's also not a a, a top-notch defender, top-notch player in this league. He's just a guy. And I'm fine with the role he plays on this team, but I don't have any delusions as to what Robert Covington is like some other people do. And that'll do it with Trash Talk with TK. I'm TK Tom Kelly. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. See ya. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.